0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. Now, we gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person at Faith on Hill Church, but we're also online with a live stream on our website, faithonhill.com. We have video uh, premiering at 10.30 a.m. on our Facebook page, and it's always available there. And then you can get audio-only versions on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. And we know that most people who listen to the audio-only version aren't listening on Sunday mornings, so whenever and wherever you are listening, we want to say hello. We are glad you are here with us. If you consider Faith on Hill your church, but you've been an online attender, uh, we would love to know who you are, to connect with you. Uh, My email is adam at faithonhill.com. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, including online, our online small group is Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We have an in-person small group Sunday mornings before church at 9 a.m., a young adult small group on Tuesday nights, and our youth group is on Tuesday nights. You can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. We are always taking donations for the Wichita Family Center, which serves families in need in our community, uh, non-perishable food items, warm winter clothing. If you want to uh, connect with me and we can arrange a time for you to drop that off, that'd be great. Also, last Sunday, we started taking toy donations for the Toy and Joy program. Now, This program serves underserved and underprivileged kids in our community. It's run primarily by retired firefighters in our community, and, and we have people in the church uh, who are part of the efforts there. And so uh, we had a great, uh, great run with them last year, and we are excited to work with them again this year. We're continuing our study through the 10 least read books of the Bible. And this week we'll be looking at the words of the prophet Zephaniah. So if you have a Bible, open to Zephaniah chapter 1 as we study God's word together. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah." the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, Israel had had a civil war, and it was now divided, a northern kingdom called the kingdom of Israel, and a southern kingdom called the kingdom of Judah. Zephaniah had his ministry centered around Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern kingdom, and that was his primary Point of ministry and prophecy. He is speaking God's word primarily to the people of the southern kingdom. Now, the people of the northern kingdom would have done well to listen to him as well, as would he speaks in chapter 2 to the nations around. So this message isn't just for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, but for all people, including us. Verse 2, This is the Lord speaking. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So this is sort of a big opening message to everyone. There is coming a time of reckoning. What the prophets in the Old Testament often call the day of the Lord. There is coming a time where God says no more. This madness can't go on any longer. And if you have your hope in people, they will be wiped away. If you have your hope in the world around us, and he talks about the birds and the fish and all of the the world around us, uh, it's going to be wiped away. If you have your hope in false gods, and he talks about idols, they will be destroyed. Now, I do want to say that there is and has been sort of a thought among some Christians in the last 40 years that verses like these where it says, well, God's going to wipe out the world anyway, so we don't have to care about the world around us. I totally disagree with that. God has entrusted this world to us, and it's our responsibility to take care of it. We should care about pollution. We should care about the environment. We don't worship it. We recognize that there's agendas on all sides. I remember uh, there was a big push, you know, when hybrid cars came out. And I I actually would love to get a hybrid car at some point, just for the fuel efficiency. I was looking at the gas prices the other day. But I remember there was a big push, you know, when those came out. Everybody's got to get a hybrid. Well, here's the thing. Every big container ship that comes into port in San Francisco, Los Angeles, any of the major seaports, they're equal to 300,000 Suburbans or Yukons out on the road every day. So I understand that there's agendas in place and people are trying to like virtue signal and all that stuff, but that doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't care about the environment. Verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in the place, the very names of the idolatrous priests who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, but also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. So God is saying, hey, there is coming a time of reckoning for this whole world. But first, he's going to deal with his own people. He's going to deal with his own people. He says he's going to stretch out his hand against Judah and Jerusalem. Why? Because of Baal worship. Now, you might remember if you've been with us on the 20-Minute Bible Study podcast or if you've read the books of Joshua and Judges, 1 Samuel, these, these books from the early days of the kingdom of Israel, Baal was the primary god of the Canaanites, the pagan people that God had told his people to remove from the land, get them out. And it's, there's disagreement about when this book was written, but let's say it's somewhere between 400 to 600 years after that time. And it's back. It's returned. He says that the priests, they'll swear by the name of the Lord, but also by Molech. So in public, they say one thing, but in private, they do something else. They go up onto their roofs where no one can see. And there they worship the the heavenly hosts, the starry host. They're worshiping the stars and the sun and the moon. They're worshiping false gods. There is idolatry, there is hypocrisy, and there is violence. How do we know there's violence? Let's read a little further. It says in verse 7, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord is prepared to sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes, on that day I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. What is that? Violence? What's this about stepping over the threshold of doors? What's going on there? I said, like I said a minute ago, there was idolatry, there was hypocrisy, and there was violence. The idolatry is pretty evident. If you're worshiping a false god, if Baal, or Molech, are being worshipped instead of the true God. That's pretty obvious idolatry. The hypocrisy is that they say one thing and they do another. They go to the temple of God, but then they worship false gods. Verse 9 has left some debate among Bible scholars. It says, All who avoid stepping on the threshold. What does that mean? Every culture has these little tells. You know, that you, you, you came from there. Uh, there's, you, you ever see on, uh, I see this on Instagram all the time, you ever see these uh, maps that kind of show what part of the country uh, do you call it soda or do you call it pop? And then if you're in Georgia, everything is a Coke. It doesn't matter if it's a Pepsi. And it's the same as true in, in other cultures, they have these little tells, little things that they do. So what the Bible scholars think is going on is that this thing about avoiding stepping directly on the threshold was a superstition that was linked to those who worshiped these false gods. That I personally don't step on the threshold of my door all the time. I usually step over it. But apparently, this was something very specific. Like if I step on the threshold of my door as I'm walking in or out of a room, I don't worry about it. But apparently this avoidance was something very specific to those who were worshiping these false gods. And so God's saying, hey, you know who's doing this. You know who publicly is saying one thing and then doing another. Um, This isn't unusual. We have these public faces of who we are. And then there's the truth of who we are. So this hypocrisy is being called out by God. It's interesting to me, if you were to get a bunch of Christians into a room and say, hey, write your list of like top five things that you think God cares about the most. Sins, evil that God's really like not happy with. Hypocrisy, I don't think would be on the list, but it's what God is calling out. God cares about hypocrisy. God cares about, about people who say one thing and do another. God cares about people who put a public face on and then privately, everything is the opposite. God wants my life and your life to be the same whether we're in person or with no one around. And then violence. He says, I'm going to deal with the violence. What does that mean? Well, in verse 9, it says that the temple of their gods is filled with violence and deceit. Now, that is a a call out from God because there was only one temple in Jerusalem. We're told in 2 Kings chapter 21, and you can go read that on your own time, but we're told in 2 Kings chapter 21 that the king in that day had brought the idol Molech into the temple. And people were worshiping the idol Molech in the temple of God. And they might even have been doing both. They'll sacrifice the lamb and then they'll sacrifice to Molech. But the Molech sacrifices were horrific. Second Kings tw- chapter 21 tells us that the king sacrificed his own son on that idol. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but Molech was carved out of stone And they would carve sort of the face. And then they would carve hands out of stone. And they would light a fire under these stone hands. And the the stone hands would heat up. And if you've ever seen stones heated, you know, sometimes they can glow hot. And then they would place a child, a baby, into the stone hands. It's horrible. And the king of Israel, in the temple of God, we are told, did such things. God is calling out their idolatry, their hypocrisy, and their violence. By implication, he's also calling out their immorality because Baal worship was always linked to the worship of Ashtoreth. And in in their practices, they believed that Baal and Ashtoreth were up in the the sky or the stars somewhere, and that through having ritual intercourse, they would encourage Baal and Astra to have celestial intercourse and then that would bring about the next season of the harvest. So you do these things in the fall and winter and the, and the idea is that when springtime comes around, that happened because you encouraged Baal and Astra to do their thing. So God is calling them out for their sins and he's saying in verse 6 that some of you have turned your back from following the Lord and others never sought him to begin with. And this is the case against Israel. This is the case against Judah. This is the case against Jerusalem. This is the case against God's people. He says, some of you have abandoned the faith, and some of you never started. Now, we said last week when we were studying the prophet Joel that one of the mistakes Christians make in our day is they either project themselves into the story, but we're not in the old covenant, we're not part of the people of of Israel. Or we totally divorce ourselves from the Old Testament and say that there's nothing to do with this. And I don't believe either is true. Obviously, this is speaking to a certain time and a certain place. But in our own day, we can see parallels and principles that are applicable. My heart is breaking for friends of mine who I grew up with, grew up in the same church, who have turned their back on Jesus. They've turned their back on Jesus. And we're still friends. I still love them. But I grieve for them. I grieve for their children. I'm watching the children of my friends grow up without faith. It says here that some have stopped following the Lord and others have never started. It's like my friends and their kids. My friends have stopped following the Lord, their kids seem to have never started. And then with this case that God is making against his people. Verse 10, he says, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, all you who live in the market district, all you merchants will be wiped out. All you who trade with silver will be destroyed. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent who are like wine left on in the dregs who think the lord will do nothing either good or bad their wealth will be plundered their houses demolished they will build houses and not live in them they will plant vineyards and they will not drink the wine now this is describing different parts of jerusalem just as if if the verse had said you know cry all you who live in the pearl district and wail all of you who live in uh, Milwaukee, and grieve all of you who live in Gresham. We would understand what that would mean. And they understood it in their geographic context. But the bigger idea was two things. One is that there were people who thought, we have connected ourselves with the world around us. Uh, Earlier in in this chapter, God says he's going after those. uh, In verse 8, in foreign clothes... Now, that's not a statement about fashion, but what's going on is that the people had thought we will buy our safety by appeasing the world around us. And we will get rich off of the trade that we get by connecting ourselves with the world around us. We will dress like them. We will talk like them. Now, look, I, I obviously, I mean, I'm wearing a flannel shirt. I, 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 I am not, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I look like a guy who lives in 2021. So obviously, like, I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm not, you know, I don't live in Nairobi. I don't live in Singapore. I don't live in London. I live in Milwaukee, Oregon, and it's 2021. So there's nothing about how we dress. Um, You know, we all go out and have jobs. There's nothing against having money. The offense is this, where it says, there are those who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. I'm going to do these things that God has said not to do. I'm going to live a life that is not separated from this world and consecrated to God. I'm going to live a life that is just doing what everybody else is doing and it doesn't matter. God's not going to punish me and I don't think God would do any good for me either because I don't really believe in him. That's what these verses are saying. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. There's that term again, the day of the Lord. Coming quickly, the cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warriors shout his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpets and battle cry against the fortified cities, against the corner towers. I will bring such a distress on all people. They will grope around like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust, their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. You could have all the success in the world. You could have all the fame in the world. You could have all the money in the world, and it will not save you. You could do all of the charitable works. You could do all of the right things to look right. But if the inside of our hearts have not been cleansed by Jesus and his death and resurrection, we have nothing. Verse 18 goes on to say, in the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. But there's a call to repentance. Verse 1, chapter 2, gather yourselves together, you shameful nation. Before this decree takes effect and the day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes for you, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. There is a tension in our Christian experience between in the world and being of the world. We've seen God's case against those who are totally of the world, they do everything. Like the world that rejects God does. They worship idols. They engage in violence. They're hypocrites. They engage in immorality. They think that the wealth and the culture of the world will save them. They think that whatever the culture says is right is right, and whatever God says is optional, if not just outright wrong. And God says, Gather yourself together. Gather yourselves together. And seek the Lord. Seek righteousness and seek humility. And this is a message to all people. It's a message to Judah and Jerusalem in Zephaniah's day. It is a message to us in our day. One of the mistakes that Christians have made is this idea that some parts of the culture don't need this message. All parts of our culture need this message. All parts of our culture need this message. From the farthest left to the farthest right, from the oldest to the youngest, from the most conservative to the most progressive, everyone needs this message. Seek righteousness and seek humility. To those living in hate, reject it and find the peace of Christ. To those living in violence, Turn away from the violence of our mouths, from the violence of our hearts, from the violence of our hands, and find the peace of Jesus, the King of peace, from those living in immorality. Turn away and seek the righteousness of God before it's too late. For those living in hypocrisy, live in forgiveness and transparency. For those who are standing for righteousness, I'll tell you, I've been part of the church a long time, and I've seen a lot of people who say they're standing for righteousness, but they don't seem to be seeking humility. Seek humility. Now, God has made his case against his people, Judah and Jerusalem. Judah, of course, being the kingdom, Jerusalem being its capital. But then he says to the nations around, hey, just because I'm focusing on my people right now, it doesn't mean I'm going to ignore you. I believe it's very possible that God is doing a work in his church right now. In the last five years, and really in the last two years, the the increasing and the ramp up is just going and going and going. Churches and ministries and leaders and people who have been living in hypocrisy are just exposed one after the other. And I trust that God's doing a work. And the world around is looking at the church in America going, you guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. And that might be true in some cases. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about what's going on in the world outside. Verse 4, he says, Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday in Ashdod, it will be emptied and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, you Karathite people. The word of the Lord is against you, Cain, in the land of Philistines. He says, I will destroy you and none will be left. The land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. The land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord, their God, will care for them and he will restore their fortunes. I have heard the insults of Moab, the taunts of the Ammonites, who insulted my people. And made threats against their land. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit the land. And this is what they will get in return for their pride, for their insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them. And when he destroys all the gods of the earth, distant nations will bow down to him and all... In their own land. Now, I I believe personally that's speaking of the coming of the Gentiles into faith in Jesus Christ, that people from all nations, tribes, and tongues will be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12 You Cushites too will be slain by my sword. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will root upper columns. Their hooting will echo through the windows. Rubble will fill the doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This kind of reminds me of if you've ever seen footage of Pripyat or or Chernobyl. Uh, You know, Pripyat was actually the town where where most people lived in Chernobyl was the plant. But, you know, after the accident, everybody had to clear out, and nature over the last couple decades has reclaimed those human structures and places that were offices and schoolrooms and houses. You know, now you'll see birds making homes and, and deer just walking through an office building. These Places that said, We have such power. We are are the top. We are the biggest. Assyria was the most powerful capital of that time. Cush dominated the northeastern end of Africa. Moab hadn't been driven out hundreds of years before. So why would we be driven out now? And God says, I'm going to deal with you. Verse 15 the city of revelry that lived in safely. She has said to herself, I am the one. There is no other besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her will scoff and shake their fist. This world around us is passing away. We have no hope in this world. We only have hope in Jesus. We should have great concern for this world. We should have great care and compassion for the world around us. That's why we're doing things like the Toy and Joy and the Wichita Family Center, because we should care about the people around us. But I don't have any hope for the future of this world. Verse 1, chapter 3 says, Woe to the city of oppressors. This is again speaking of Jerusalem. Rebellious and defiled, she obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are unprinchable. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. Speaking of the things we talked about earlier, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. I have destroyed the nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted. With no one passing through, their cities are laid waste, and they are deserted and empty. Of Jerusalem, I thought, surely you will fear me and accept correction. Then her place of refuge would not be destroyed, nor all my punishment come upon her. But they were still eager to act corruptly in all that they did. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations to gather the kingdoms and pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. God is still good among his people. Verse 5, the Lord within Jerusalem is righteous. He does no wrong. The Lord within Jerusalem is righteous. God's work through sinful people is still God's work. I, I know a friend who became a Christian through the witness of somebody who no longer professes faith. My friend, is, faith is genuine. He loves Jesus. And he prays for this older Friend, it was his, his friend's dad who kept telling him about Jesus, and now he prays for him to come back to Jesus. Just because God did a work through somebody who now denies God, it doesn't mean that God's work is any lesser. There's a story in the Bible about a prophet who had to run and hide from the king. The king wanted to kill him because he was, you know, speaking the words of God, and the king didn't want to hear the words of God. So God said, "Hey." Go to this little ravine, this hidden canyon. There's a brook there. There'll be water. And I'm going to send the birds to bring you food. And so miraculously, birds would bring him food every morning. And he had water to eat, and it was, you know, sheltered. and every, He's a place to hide out. The birds were ravens, and ravens were unclean birds in the Old Testament law. Carrion eaters, the ber- type of birds that eat dead things. So it was good. You didn't want to eat those birds because they carried disease. Yet God sent those birds to bring the food. And somebody once said, and I think this is true, that just because the bird was unclean, it doesn't mean that God's work through them was invalid. And there are people that look and they see everything that's wrong in the church. And you think you know everything that's wrong in the church? I bet I've got five other things you don't know about. But God is still good within Jerusalem and he is still good within his church. He does no wrong. God's goodness is not diminished by people's sin or failure. And we have to wait for God to do his work. Verse 8, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day that I will stand up to testify. Therefore wait for me for the day that I will stand up and do a work. You know, there are times where God just seems to be doing stuff and doing stuff. And then there are times where for some reason that we don't know, it seems to pause. And maybe we're in that season right now. Honestly, as somebody that studies a lot of history, I have to go back to pre-first great awakening America to find a time where people were having the conversations in the church like they are today. God is still good among evil people. God is still good in his holy church. And I trust and wait and know that he will work. Then finally, he calls to his people he says in verse 9, therefore I will purify the lips of my people that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. I'll tell you what, I am so tired of divisions within the church to serve shoulder to shoulder with somebody stand next to. I have so many friends who used to stand shoulder to shoulder and we, we served Jesus together and some still do, but many don't. I want to see them shoulder to shoulder with me again. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong and they will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. That's basically like, hey, you could have lunch. And then you could go out to the park and you could just lay down and you're not worried somebody's going to rob you. You could leave your keys in your car with the windows down and nobody's going to steal from you. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hand hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you. The mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over you. If you are in Christ. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach. This is probably speaking of those who mourn over the loss of the um, either it could be both ways it could either be the law those who rejoice over the loss of the old law or those who rejoice or, or those who mourn excuse me over the loss of these appointed feasts which were the pagan practices the worship of Molech and Baal and Ashtoreth that's what I think it's speaking about at that time, I will deal with all who oppress you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. And I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Israel, God's people, the Jews, was restored to the land of after the Babylonian captivity. Israel is restored to the land after 1948, and Israel will be restored to the land when Jesus returns and sets things right. Verses 19 through 20, I do not believe her about us. Remember I said last week, one of the, the things that we learned from Joel is that we are projecting ourselves into the story. This is written for Israel, and we're the church. But they can be sources of hope for us. These verses can be sources of hope for us. Because if God has been so faithful to a people that have been so faithless to Him, how much will He be faithful to you and to me? The restorative work of God knows no bounds. Jesus is reaching out. He's reaching out to lost daughters and sons, those who have become wayward. He's reaching out to people who once stood shoulder to shoulder with other Christians and have gone their own way. He's reaching out to churches who have allowed hypocrisy to reign. He's reaching out to Christians who have put violence or idolatry in their hearts. He's reaching out. He's reaching out. And we can have great hope. But here's, here's the big takeaway idea. This is like if you remember only one thing. Think about this. I want to go back to chapter 2. when God is calling his people to seek holiness and humility, what does he say? Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. He doesn't say everyone is going to do this. He says, if you want to follow God, then seek the Lord. If you want to follow God, then seek righteousness. If you want to follow God, then seek humility. I can't control what anyone else is doing, but God, let change start with me. Help me to seek the Lord. Help me to seek righteousness. Help me to seek humility. I can't control what happens in Washington, D.C. I can't help control what happens in Salem. I can't control what happens in your life. But I can control me, and you can control you. Let the change start with me. If there's idolatry, if there's hypocrisy, if there's violence, let the change start with me. Let the change start with us. God is doing his work, and that work has not ceased and Jesus is still the same today as he was yesterday as he was 2000 years ago. He has risen from the dead. He is victorious. And he is calling a people out of this world. America is not our hope. A leader is not our hope. Money, power, whatever is not our hope. Only Jesus will su- survive and sustain us. Let's seek him together in humility and peace. Would you pray with me in this moment? As we enter a time of prayer, I want to invite you to freely use the pause button. If you need to just pause and pray and then rejoin us, that's fine. But would you join me in prayer? Father, it says to seek you, and we are here. And I ask that you would give the fullness of yourself to us. For any who are listening, who do not feel assured of salvation, I pray that you would give them the fullness of Jesus. And if that's you, just where you're at, say, God, give me the fullness of Jesus. Lord, for any Christian who feels like they're struggling just to keep their head above water. I pray that you would give this the fullness of yourself with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to seek righteousness, to turn away from strife, envy, from bickering and gossip, from racism, prejudice, the idolatry of, humanity, and help us to seek humility. Lord, we don't know everything, but we know you. Lord, this world is so full of division and pride. Bring us to a place of unity and soft hearts, humble hearts. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you this week in the small groups and next Sunday at 10.30 a.m.